if you have good taste, that's why you're in the game and you can tell when something is high quality and you're disappointed in your own work because it's not quality. But the only way to close that gap between what you're doing now and what you perceive to be high quality work, the only way to close that gap is to go through a large volume of work. And basically the, the core message is that great simply is good repeated. As a young mother, I experienced a paradigm shift that transformed how I saw education and ultimately the world around me. I started this podcast, The Luminous Mind, to connect with and learn from people who are disrupting the status quo in how they learn, educate, and live in the world around them. Prepare for a paradigm shift. Light a candle. Light your world. Benjamin Franklin said, instead of cursing the darkness, light a candle. You're listening to The Luminous Mind with your host, Rebecca Bowman. Today's Firestarter is Jeremy Chevele. Jeremy designs, builds, and markets products that help people discover and do what makes them come alive. Currently, that's a startup job hunting tool called Crash Co., and a course plus coaching service called Gigloff for creative entrepreneurs who want to build a no-code business. Welcome, Jeremy. Hi, thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to have you join us today. You have such, I think, a timely message for this time with all of these people that are finding themselves unemployed. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm pretty interested in hearing a lot of your thoughts on different things like that. But before we get into your company uh, and that job hunting tool of Crash Co., can you please tell our audience a little bit more about yourself? Sure. Yeah. So I come from a French family. My entire family is in France, with the exception of my dad and my mom, who moved here to Phoenix uh, three decades ago for my dad's <laughs> job. It was only supposed to be for a couple of years, and then they got pregnant with me. So... Uh, <laughs> But I, I've been fortunate enough to be able to fly back almost every summer of my childhood. Oh, that's um, awesome. Yeah, looking forward to doing that with our kids as well. We don't have kids yet. but um, What part of France is your family from? Yeah, great question. So my dad and the majority of his family are south of the median. So Lyon is the one of the big cities and we've mm -hmm. got family there. And then Aix-en-Provence is an old Roman university town just north of Marseille, port city. And um, most of my dad's side of the family is in Aix-en-Provence. And then my That's mom's cool. side of the family is very small. They have been sort of settled in the region of Paris, about 40 minutes outside of Paris. And then they've sort of spread from there. So I've got an aunt in Canada and an uncle in the far western reaches of France. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah, that's exactly where my son is heading is Leon. Uh, Leon, cool. I can't say it right. But he's headed to no, Leon. no problem. That's awesome. I'm so excited that he'll see your kind of the stomping grounds of where your family came from. So yeah. any other personal information about yourself that you want to tell us about? Well, I mean, I would say to set a little bit of context for this conversation, you know, I grew up playing soccer and drawing with friends. So I was always the guy who did the lettering and the layout of the comic strips. I wish somebody had told me that I was a graphic designer. You know, it took me a long time to sort of figure that out on my own. But I, uh, I moved into digital art when I was in my teens, went on a website called DeviantArt for a few years, which really like 
pushed me to hone my creative execution, right? My ability to actually produce something that I was proud of publishing on the website. And then, I mean, I got my first design internship before I even started design school, graduated with a degree in design management, went through interning at an agency, started my own agency, then did another agency that we were going to scale, you know, sort of think of like the tech startup of marketing agencies. And so I can go into details about that, but that's been really my path since the beginning. Well, and when I was looking at your, uh, your own personal website, there's a ton of like businesses that you've started. And then, I mean, I'm like, wow, (laughs) this person really (laughs) does know how to get businesses going and then, you know, make your own way. And I'd love for you to tell us like the background of why you began to work with job hunting and showcasing those market skills. Yeah, great question. So it actually, before my days in Crash, my co-founder in Publoft uh, had this vision while we were at Launch Accelerator in San Francisco back in, well, 2019, so last year. Okay. Um, he had a vision to not just be the agency that hired all the freelancers to do the work, but to actually build a school or a boot camp that would create amazing freelancers, agency owners, right? Just the boot camp that taught people how to build their own pub lofts and replicate the same results that we had. So we started Gigloft on that vision. And that was really my first foray into the sort of career building, job hunting space. That's cool. And we discovered Crash somewhere along the way last summer, immediately aligned with their philosophy of you know, being your own product and sort of launching yourself as a talented human out into the job market. And so fast forward a few months later, I did some freelance work for Crash. And then when the opportunity was given to me to take on the uh, the director of marketing role, I really couldn't refuse. (laughs) That's awesome. I mean, because if you love something and you believe in it, to be part of that is amazing. I think that graphic design in particular is one of those jobs that you go to school and you end up spending way more money than what you end up making when you come out. Is that right? Like, I mean, I think that that's probably a career, like if you could showcase those market skills, you might not have to go to school. What's your feeling on that? Like with college and all of that, are you there to kind of replace the college thing? Or are you there to just assist people coming out of college? Yeah. So Crash is definitely a job hunting tool. Our aim is not to replace college. Personally, while I don't regret my college education at all, I do still have somewhere in the neighborhood of $11,000 in student loans. And which is not bad, by the way. <laughs> which, which, yeah, and exactly. Every time I mention that to somebody, they're like, oh, that's great. Only 11000 which is <laughs> kind of ridiculous. Yeah. It is. <laughs> But I I think, you know, if you want a really good design education, you can go to a really good design school. So I went to Arizona State University, Herberger College for the Arts and Design or whatever. It's a good school. Like the visual communication design program is is really excellent there. Uh, It's a studio concentration. I did not take the full studio concentration, but I sort of convinced a couple professors to let me take studio classes. But all this to say, there are great sort of traditional higher education options to pursue in just about any field. Design definitely being one of them, but there's also more and more alternative education models, such as general assembly teaching UX design. And and I learned 
visual communication design, which were sort of like the core principles that then apply to anything you can do in the world of design. Whereas more modern programs are much more closely tied to like the specific jobs or career paths that you might be looking for. So taking the UX certification or whatever through something like General Assembly will prepare you a lot more for a career in UX. And I think that there's a ton of value to those. But I also think that if you're the type that is just sort of self-taught, if you're insatiably curious about something like design, if you love to doodle, if you catch little details, right? If you're like, oh, that button's out of place or whatever, like you could be really good at design and there are a million free resources on the web to learn design. It's just a matter of how much you resonate with a structured learning environment versus completely unstructured, self-guided learning. Yeah. I was actually reading Atomic Habits last night and James Clear was relating a story of how there was a professor who had basically split the class up into two different groups. And one of them was quantity. You know, the people who would do quantity photos. He wanted quantity Mm -hmm. from them. And the other one was quality, like that one great photo. He thought it was interesting that it was the quantity people that ended up producing the great photos and the quality Mm -hmm. people got the mediocre ones because he said that he found that because they were taking pictures so much, they just naturally like they were getting better all the time because- because they were doing that practice. And that's what I kind of think with school that sometimes we overthink it. And that's what he said, like the quality, they learn the concepts and everything, but it wasn't applied, you know, it wasn't an applied knowledge. And so. Absolutely. Well, and I I will say whenever possible, having those at bats, right, you can work on something in private your entire life and never know if you're getting better. Or Mm -hmm. you can ship something out into the world, be brave enough to potentially get just crapped on by the internet. (laughs) (laughs) But otherwise, you'll never know if Mm -hmm. what you're making is valuable or not. And yeah, just going through, I mean, Ira Glass has this amazing quote. There was a very viral Vimeo video Uh, years ago, that's sort of like an animated text version. And it's paired to the audio of this interview that Ira Glass did, giving all of his career advice to young journalists. Um, But this excerpt applies to any, any creative, anybody who wants to improve in a skill. And he basically says, I wish somebody had told this to me when I was young, you can smell and see and, and differentiate something of quality. Like if you have good taste, that's why you're in the game and you can tell when something is high quality and you're disappointed in your own work because it's not quality. But the only way to close that gap between what you're doing now and what you perceive to be high quality work, the only way to close that gap is to go through a large volume of work. Have a lot of reps under your belt And the last thing I'll say, Steph Smith has an excellent quote on this as well. She wrote a a huge article um, a few months back on this topic. And basically the the core message is that great simply is good repeated. Okay. Yeah, that's very true. (laughs) Let's talk about what you, as you're going through job hunting and this showcase uh, marketing skills, those topics, you know, what fascinated you to kind of go in this direction of, you know, helping people to launch their careers? 
Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I've always been a teacher at heart. I taught French for a couple of years to to kids and to some adults, like on private tutoring. I worked at Boys and Girls Club for a year and a half, and I've always been a teacher, like a lecturer type. Like I want to share the knowledge that I have, and I get that from my dad, a hundred percent. And I, you know, countless memories of him lecturing to me in the evenings at dinner with like whiteboards and stuff, and I loved it. And so it was just sort of a natural progression to learn more about the crash philosophy, which is based on Isaac Morehouse's previous company, Praxis. It is a college alternative uh, that places young grads or ambitious young people in startups and gives them the tools that they need to be successful in the startup world. And Isaac's philosophy towards job hunting and just like being your own product, you know, going out there and representing yourself and not waiting for permission, all of that just really struck me the more I dove into it. I've always been a rule breaker or a deviant and I've learned a lot of lessons the hard way. I had the typical shitty job hunting experience and, you know, the classic pains of trying to be an entrepreneur and and knowing nothing about it. And um, I think that there's so much advice out there that does not apply to when you're just starting out. Even if it's supposedly advice for if you're just starting out, it assumes this like baseline of like the size of your network or your skills or your mindset or whatever. And I've just never been content with the advice that I've gotten with the exception of a few standout piece of advice or, you know, categories of thought leadership, like everything that Isaac talks about and and publishes on. So for me, that approach, job hunting like an entrepreneur or job hunting like a good freelancer or a good business owner, like finds clients, really fascinated me, landed with me and was sort of the catalyst for uh, everything that I'm doing now. Well, and it probably helped you be successful. I mean, if you've uh, launched your own company, you know, you want to continue to learn that, like, how do I get these clients and how do I, uh, you know, make, you know, company appealing to other people. I am super embarrassed that I did not notice Isaac Morehouse's, I see as the first article that you read is Isaac Morehouse. He's actually been on our podcast before. Is he part of Crash.co? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Isaac founded Crash. So he founded Praxis back in 2013 or 2014. Uh And like early last year, Crash was an attempt to sort of scale the Praxis bootcamp. Okay. Well before I was on the team, they went through a few iterations and found that was just sort of like not clicking. A model like Praxis needs to be high touch and it's incredibly difficult to have the same level of impact at scale with a pure SaaS platform. And so it sort of started pivoting more and more into a job hunting platform. Mm-hmm. Um, but Isaac is at the helm. He is the visionary, fearless leader that we follow into the depths of the unknown that is the startup world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, obviously he's successful at it. He founded Praxis and then always brings on an amazing team. So definitely he's definitely one to, <laughs> to oh, yeah. follow and be part of. Yeah, definitely. Well, tell me about maybe the challenges that you've had while you've been working with this coaching service and creating these tools. <laughs> you know, what have you learned from these challenges and from this experience? Everything that you can do wrong, I have done wrong. <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, I've got a list here in front of me because I wanted to be prepared for this. So <laughs> in all of my businesses, iterating too much, like building something in private, like we were talking about earlier, instead of just shipping a good enough version, putting it in the hands of customers or users and building on top of it from there. Like we, in my past work, we, um, you know, we took way too long to actually take something to market or thinking that we even had to have a tech product altogether. I mean, there are no rules. You don't have to have any kind of product. You just need to create value for people and understand how to convince them that it's valuable, how to find the people who find it valuable. I mean, we positioned ourselves incorrectly in the market we underpriced, we overpriced, we <laughs> didn't stay in close communication with our early customers. Uh, we got distracted by outside investor opinions, right? Who were not close to the problem or the solution that we were bringing to market and who were just sort of giving us advice from a distance when we were asking for it. And we were taking that not with a grain of salt. And ultimately, I think not having clear enough uh, lines of leadership in terms of who at the end of the day is responsible for the company succeeding. And that doesn't mean doing everything at the company, of course, that just means leading it to success. And okay. um, those are like the major things that I've learned in my startup experience so far. I will say specific to coaching, I've got answers for later in the show specific to that. Yeah, all that to say, I mean, <laughs> I don't think there's a, a mistake that you can make in business that I haven't made yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's cool that you recognize that. I mean, I think failure is the opportunity for growth. And a lot of times Absolutely. in our world today, we don't want to admit the failure because, you know, we want to be the A student or the person who does it right, uh, right. the first time type of thing. And, you know, we've got that reputation to protect. And I think that that's a valuable experience for anybody just to have the humility to actually learn from it. And I well, think and it, and it actually, it makes you more likely, more realistic and, and helps people take your accomplishments more seriously. Like it adds dimension to you and your body of work in a way that you might hear if you get in like e-commerce, like you want to have a couple negative reviews because it makes it more realistic as opposed to having all five star reviews. Well, in the same way, like if you just look like you've never made a mistake in your life, like somebody who's thinking about hiring you or working with you is going to wonder how you handle adversity. Yeah, mistakes are good. Or if mistakes you're even telling us. the truth, right? Because I mean, yeah. Yeah, if you're even being honest about it. Right. And then they'll wonder like, uh, oh, am I going to be this uh, person's big mistake? <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, yeah. so that's awesome. Well, tell me how your paradigm has changed, you know, through this time experience of trying to work in this environment. Yeah. And I'm curious, can you define paradigm as you're using it for me? Well, well, sometimes we start out with how we think something is. And then as time goes on, you know, as we yep. gain that experience, we realize that it's really not that, you know, it's <laughs> we've been able to flip things, you know, for instance, I thought that as a podcaster, you know, you'd instantly have success and that people would love your show and that you'd <laughs> start raking in the dough, you know, yeah. type of thing. My yep. paradigm has been significantly changed <laughs> through that time and experience. Got it. Yeah, absolutely. My biggest paradigm shift has been in the idea that co-founders and business partners are, I used to place a lot of value almost to a point of needing. I used to feel like uh, I needed a co-founder of some kind in order to start a business and 
you know, I've learned the hard way a couple of times that everybody's unique. Everybody's living their own thing. And even with the best of intentions, the best dynamics at the beginning of the relationship, that things can change and they often do. And that just a lot of people are not cut out for what I like to call the the winding, twisting mountain road of entrepreneurship, where you've got, you're trying to move quickly and you've got these tight turns. You know, you have to have your emotional seatbelt on. And if you don't, you're going to get whipped around. You're going you're gonna to have crazy, joyful highs, ecstatic highs when things go well. You're going to have abysmally dark depths of depression and anxiety when things go wrong. And you have to strap on that emotional seatbelt to sort of stay in the middle and not let yourself get to one way or another if you want to make it, you know, (laughs) (laughs) through the road, through the entire road. And so really, I would say beyond that, I've learned that there are no rules. A lot of times people will sort of operate from this mindset that, oh, if we're going to be a startup, then we have to raise venture capital. People will operate from the perspective that because I want to conform to X, Y, and Z label, such as being a tech startup, we have to X, Y, and Z activities that are, that supposedly are, are required. And what I've learned is that there are no rules, right? There's no blanket statements that apply to every case in business or really in life. Everything is so nuanced, <laughs> not trying to, to be super meta here, but um, I've learned the value of just sort of doing what you feel is best, staying you know, emotionally, mentally steady, and letting your choices and the results sort of guide the way rather than feeling the need to engage in activities because that's what others have done or because that's what you've read in a book as being what a startup founder should do. Going with gut, I would say, has been my biggest. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, paradigm change. That's awesome. Well, and I, I think Dave Ramsey says, you know, as far as those partnerships or bringing on a, a co-founder, I think he says that there's only one ship that doesn't sell and that's a partnership. <laughs> because, I mean, he, he kind of believes the same thing. Like, you know, things come up, your ideas change and, and not everybody can go through that, the ride of entrepreneurship in a way that it's fun to be attached to that person all the time, I think. So yeah, well, and and I will say, you know, I mean, like nobody's perfect. If you have a business partner, like the important thing, it's just like a marriage. The important thing is not that every day is roses. The important thing is that you're willing to check yourself, that you're willing to come correct to a conversation, work through the messy details, the emotions, figure out where there was misalignment, figure out where people were hurt have a genuine desire to fix that hurt and to get back onto a good note. And at the end of the day, like move forward for the sake of, of the relationship and for the sake of what you're trying to, you know, Accomplish. bring world. Yeah. 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 <laughs> wow. Well, tell us how you feel like um, Crash Co. is disruptive to the industry. You know, how is it different as far as job hunting and showcasing those market skills than like a monster or, you know, something <laughs> like that? <laughs> Sure. Well, we'll start with the name, right? So like the idea, the very philosophy at the core is to crash your career. What crash does that no other job hunting platform out there does is it gives a stronger voice to the job seeker herself or himself. It is a tool to signal your worth when your LinkedIn or your resume are not a good proxy for that. And, and mm-hmm. for most entry-level people, 
LinkedIn and, and resumes are not a good signal of your worth because they're focused on past work experience and on education, which are all these sort of like, I mean, work experience is sort of the catch 22. Like every entry level job is seeking one to two years of prior experience. And you <laughs> you're know, like, what? Yeah, Did I include like, being a waiter at a restaurant? <laughs> type of thing? Well, exactly. And that's, that's the, one of the things that we have to help young job seekers understand is that your retail or hospitality or even volunteer experience or taking care of your grandmother for five years, like those are things that you can translate into signals of value. Those are transferable skills. You just have to figure out how to make them like align or uh, I, I don't know, like you voice to, them in a way. That yeah, you have to understand what businesses care about and you have to get good at talking about your skills in business terms. So, That's cool. yeah. you know, yeah, instead of, oh, I was a cashier at McDonald's. Well, hey, check this out. In my prior experience, I handled transactions for a multi-billion dollar company. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's cool. How do you how do you get like lead people from like those simple past experiences to help them push to their passion? I mean, I think that's another big difference with Crash too, that you're there to help people kind of find that passion, right? Yeah, it's a great question. So right now we're small enough that we sort of just like consult and coach for free. Our business model is not one of career coaching, so we can just sort of do that as a presence in the lives of our job seekers on our platform, as well as the young job seekers that we reach out to on LinkedIn or when we network through conferences and other channels. We just lay it on them. You know, we really try to show them this light at the end of the tunnel that they're perceiving and give them hope that the traditional job hunting process isn't the only road and that just because it's the beaten path doesn't mean it's the path you have to follow. So it's, you know, helping them discover the world of startups, like what startups actually are, as opposed to what a lot of people sort of envision them to be like a guy in a garage trying to get you to work for free or a mom and pop, you know, store on downtown main street. Like we educate really about what startups are, what the world of venture capital and, and tech is and the opportunities that it contains, the massive undiscovered opportunities that it contains, because these startups, especially when they're early stage, don't have nearly the budget or time to promote their hiring process, their job opportunities. So, you know, you ask any young job seeker, like what companies you want to work for, and they're going to give you like the biggest, best brands that we all know, Netflix, Apple, Google, Tesla, SpaceX. <laughs> And it's like, well, what about the next wave of Apples and Googles and Teslas? Like the ones that nobody knows about yet. Those are the ones that need your fire for solving some kind of problem or your passion for marketing and design, your curiosity. Those are the ones who need you. And so we really try to educate and connect our job seekers with these early stage companies that are out there. And then we, we help them build a stronger signal, like I mentioned earlier. Okay. And it's, it's really, Crash can only hold so much. Like, you know, you can link to projects, you can show the, the software tools that you know how to use, and that's, that's really valuable. But we're not a personal website creator. We're not a blog platform. And so we highly encourage all of our job seekers to do what we call work out loud, which essentially comes down to 
creating passion projects, working on side projects, right? Just producing work. And in the fields of like design and software engineering, that's pretty common. Like, like people already get that. Usually designers, young designers and young programmers are hacking or designing their own stuff because just by definition, like those fields, it's sort of all about making a thing. But for the other fields, like we work with people who want to go into sales, marketing, operations, customer success, like those mm-hmm. fields don't have obvious projects that you make sort of by definition of working in that field. And so we encourage job seekers, whether you're actively on the job hunt or will be on the job hunt at some point, we encourage them to learn out loud, consume good podcasts, read good books, articles, etc. And then like write about what you're learning, not only because it's a fantastic way to sort of process what you're learning and to just like improve your own ability to think, but also because it's something that other people can find that shows your passion and curiosity and thought process. And it's a 10 times better signal. I mean, I (laughs) can't even count the number of times that I've heard or seen on Twitter, et cetera, leaders in companies say that they can understand more about a potential candidate with 2000 word blog posts than they can get from their resume. Definitely, Um, yeah. And so, yeah, we just really encourage like working out loud, like pursuing your passions by doing side projects and stuff. And then also like building a network early on. LinkedIn is, Mm -hmm. regardless of of how people individually feel about LinkedIn, like the truth is it's got massive network effects. And I mean, when I was 20 years old, I sent out connection requests to dozens of creative directors, agency owners, art directors, all sorts of leaders in the creative industry, just asking them for advice. Like, hey, I'm a young designer trying to break in. I would love like 15 minutes of your time or just like a few bullet points of your top advice if you were starting out again. And most of them accepted my connection request. Probably about half of them responded with something interesting. Maybe a third of them were willing to get on a phone call. 25% of them actually ended up getting on a phone call. And I had some great calls and I ended up getting an internship out of one. I got a great discount on some print work that I needed done for a project. Like good stuff came out of this networking. But more importantly, it's it's what I learned from those people. So I, I really can't stress highly enough when you're early on in your career or if you're making a career change and you want to break into a new industry to just use the crap out of LinkedIn. Don't be afraid to send cold connection requests. The important thing is to add a nice, simple connection request message, a note that says, hey, I'm trying to break into this industry. I would love to just pick your brain or, or I would love to just connect and maybe chat sometime. And the people who are open to that will accept and the people who are not, like you haven't lost anything by, uh, by, by not getting them to accept. But yeah, going out and doing it is, um, is hugely valuable. Early okay. On. That's awesome. So just to reiterate, like what kind of crash is about, it's very specific to people that are very new to the job industry, you know, new to yep. the market. And then learning out loud is like blog posts and maybe your own website where you display what you're learning. Is that what you're talking about? Like when you say you, you want people learning out loud, you want them to have some kind of online presence, right? I yeah, mean, with, yeah, I mean, with LinkedIn and with all of that so that they can, because like you said, I mean, 
just to post your resume, it gets looked over. I think there's a lot of white noise too in the job market because of resumes. Like, yes, it's hard to signal like what your skills really are on a one sheet piece of paper. It is. When we went through the industrial age, we sort of lost the concept of trades and apprenticeships. Mm-hmm. And it sort of became this like, go work at the factory. When we sort of started getting into the information age, it was like, just go to college and get whatever degree, get a business degree and you know work for a corporation for 40 years. And now what's happening is we've really come full circle back to a rich, diverse landscape of career opportunities, skills, and especially with the world of software, you could have no college degree, no prior work experience, but man, if you can build an email campaign in MailChimp and a a simple, you know, three-page website using Squarespace or Webflow or whatever you want, like you can create value for people. So go back to Praxis for a sec, like Praxis there's the six-month boot camp, and then the second half of Praxis is six-month apprenticeship at a startup. They don't pretend like the candidates are going to know everything. It's it's by definition, it's an apprenticeship. Mm-hmm. Like you're going to learn everything that goes into doing this job as you're doing the job, and you're going to get paid for it. And as a result, you're going to take it more seriously. But even if you aren't in a program like that or, or haven't had that kind of opportunity, the fact that you can go to google.com and punch in literally anything you want to learn Mm -hmm. and have a 95% chance of the first three results being the best content on that topic that you can ever find on the web. Like there's never been a learning environment (laughs) like the web is today. And, and anybody can create value, but you have to be in that value creation mindset, which is another thing that we, we really try to encourage uh, job seekers to, to think about the other two key points that I'll make about our messaging is not spraying and praying, but instead focusing on a few high best fit opportunities. Like if you're really into animals, pitch yourself to startups that do animal stuff. If you're really into food and nutrition, like network with food tech companies, pitch yourself to nutrition companies, like focus on the areas that you're most curious and interested in. And you will have far better results, far faster on your job hunt than just trying to spray and pray. Because at that point, you're just a number in a game. And the other key point is to focus on the human beings, right? When we send in an application and a resume through a portal, all it does is it treats you like a piece of data It runs you through an applicant tracking system that tries to define your worth and your fit based Mm -hmm. on keywords in your resume when you are so much more than that. And no musical artist, for example, I'm just thinking this out of the blue, like no aspiring rapper or country singer or pop star would send their resume out to their friends and to their community and be like, Hey, I'm really, I'm a good fit for music. Like, look at this thing. No. And in the same way, like resumes and job applications are a thing of the past. Big companies with a lot of hiring red tape still Mm -hmm. use them. And so if you want a job at one of those companies, you're going to have to go through those hoops, but you can send something more than a resume. You can create something awesome. That's hard to ignore. That's uniquely for that company. And you can send it directly to the decision maker by finding them on LinkedIn, by hunting down their email address. And these are the things that get results in the job hunt. 
Well, and a person that does that, that has that kind of tenacity just all of its own is what's interesting, I think, right. to companies. I mean, like you said, then they're not pushed through a portal. And I think too, like when I was growing up, it was all about perfection, you know, trying to look the part and whatever. But now I think now, like you said, there's so much of this mindset of like learning on the job and trying to create that value creation. And I mean, YouTube videos, I mean, there's a vast array of things. And, and like, even with little podcasts like mine, if I had somebody that could come on and go, well, yeah, I can turn your podcast into, you know, how X number of whatever I go, <laughs> yeah, let's, let's put you on a commission. <laughs> you go for it, <laughs> you know, whatever. I mean, yep. I think that there is, there is a lot of that value. And so you really focus on, I mean, I'm looking at your website and so you have a a tab for candidates, but then you also have a tab for handpicked jobs. Is that the handpicked jobs? Is that the startup companies that are looking for people that maybe they don't have the money to go on one of those big job hunting platforms and post a yes. job? Okay. That's, That's correct. Awesome. So we are, a lot of the jobs that you would find on our jobs board today are jobs that we've found from other job boards and that we've identified as great opportunities for early career job seekers. Okay. The direction that we're going is actually to feature exclusive job postings from the startups that need to tap into this kind of like high value, high ambition and curiosity crowd of job hunters, mm -hmm. but don't have the resources to advertise and to do it in a format that really humanizes and simplifies and sort of like narrows the focus around what really matters. So uh -huh. we're not trying to publish these long rambling job descriptions like job descriptions are written like resumes. Like it's another thing that needs to be changed about the job world. Like how we post jobs on crash internally in the dashboard for our job seekers is we create a video either with the leader at the startup. So they're the one that record the video and send it to us. Or if they don't feel comfortable or they can't, then we create a video on their behalf to sort of cover the high points of like why this company is interesting and exciting. And then we list the top five software tools that you should be familiar with if you want to pitch yourself to this role and the top five skills and like day-to-day -day things that you're going to be doing and that you should be familiar with. Yeah. And we really try to like strip out all the noise, like you mentioned earlier, that just doesn't need to be there. Yeah. I mean, I know you've said that LinkedIn is a great place to go, but I, I do feel like there's a lot of noise on there and that yes. you might get missed somewhere along the line or, you know, like you said, to be able to say the right lingo is, I think, going to be harder to find on that platform than this. I mean, this sounds like it's very personal. It kind of marries two people together in, in a better way, in my That's opinion. That's right. It's okay. that's I appreciate that perspective, Rebecca, because it's Crash is an attempt to pair job seekers and job havers based on shared passions and an overlap of needs and skill sets. So awesome. obviously, you need to hire somebody for sales who likes talking to people and wants to give a bunch of value and is a hustler, but What's more important than them having a year of enterprise sales experience already is if they're super passionate about what your company is trying to solve. 
that's going to take you and them as a, as a professional 10 times farther than somebody who's got a few years of experience. You know, you don't need to train them nearly as much or whatever, but they're just, they're not feeling the fire inside the way you are. Like they're just there. They're showing up for a paycheck. Startups are crippled by that. And so every person is passionate about their own set of things. And there is far enough opportunity out there that we can pair every early career job seeker with a few opportunities that are highly relevant to their interests and things that they don't hate and things that they don't suck at. Even (laughs) if you don't know what your dream job is, like you can pair them with those things and do a lot of good in the world as a result. Yeah. What a powerful tool. Do you ever work with people that aren't necessarily completely new to the job market? Have you ever? Yeah. Yeah, somebody that, that maybe is just struggling to even find a job. Because there's a lot of that. Like my parents grew up in that generation of like you started working with a company and you worked with that company for, you know, 30 years and then you got the watch. But that's not the way it is uh, <laughs> for us, for my generation, for Gen Xers or millennials or even some of the Gen X, Z, Y, yeah. and Z yeah. <laughs> um, generations at all. And I feel like that's vital, you know, to have a place where people are constantly kind of coming in and out of different markets. Because I actually think it's healthier for a person to not necessarily stay with the job, you know, for 30 years, because yes. I think we become very complacent about what our position is, what the company right. owes us, you know, that's kind of right. thing. And and that kind of thing. So you do work with other people that maybe have, aren't totally new to the job market or? Yep. And, and at the end of the day, there's this concept of like the career ladder and how you start on the bottom rung and you work way up the career ladder. Well, that paradigm has shifted. Mm-hmm. The ladder still exists, but now it's like a series of infinite ladders stretching to your left and to your right in both directions instead of being one ladder where like you're stuck at in a tech for your whole life and you're you're trying to climb the corporate ladder to get to hopefully middle management and maybe senior leadership where instead now you get to say no you know what I envision myself as a creative director or I envision myself as a VP of sales, as somebody sought out and respected for my knowledge in this field. And that just doesn't happen as quickly when you're in one company the whole time. Mm -hmm. Of course, if you get in early, if you get in at the ground floor of a rocket ship startup, which you can sometimes kind of guess, but is incredibly difficult to tell which companies are the rocket ships, But if you get in at the ground floor and there's a ton of room for growth and the company's growing quickly and you're highly resourceful and self-taught and fun to work with, even forget the fun to work with part. If you're good at your job, like (laughs) (laughs) if you don't make your coworkers hate their lives, then there's a ton of room to advance. But to your point, the ladder is infinite ladders now and you can go a quarter of the way up the ladder. You can start as an intern and then move into an entry level, you know, an SDR, a sales development rep. And then you might move up into account executive in that same company. But then if you're working out loud and and continuing to build sort of your personal body of work and reputation, what will happen very quickly is you will start being recruited by other fast growing companies or profitable companies. You will start being recruited based on your online presence Mm -hmm. and based on your record of achievements. And you could go from account exec to sales director 
very quickly by, by shifting into a different company. Yeah. And that's okay because the company that you're leaving, you're leaving on good terms. You're going to make sure that your job is, you know, fully transitioned to the next person before you leave. So you're not leaving them hanging and they're going to be just fine. And any good leadership, any good leaders are going to want you to take that jump into a new company for your career. Definitely. I just think that the idea of success has changed an awful lot. Like uh, I know younger people don't, I mean, and even me, like I used to think the big house, the, you know, the fancy cars and all that (laughs) was the, the definition of success. But now I'm thinking like, no, I think experience travel work that's meaningful to me is more important for sure. So let's kind of move into that. I mean, we've kind of talked about like those messages within Crash Co, but let's move into like that mentoring thing that you kind of hinted on at the beginning, but let's kind of keep in mind, like, you know, we're coming out of the COVID-19 of all these people now looking for jobs. I mean, what's the way that you would best mentor somebody through some of those situations? Well, first with a lot of, uh, of empathy and consideration for the immense stress that. Well, and don't you think that COVID-19 is most likely like young people that are hurting more than anybody? I would think, I mean, maybe I, who knows? Honestly, I think not so much. I, okay. My gut tells me that of the people who are hurting, who are being laid off and whatnot, younger people by sort of definition have more fire in their bellies, more energy, they're more willing to sort of think outside the box and, you know, kind of like roll with things and and figure things out. Whereas I think folks who are later in their career are potentially much more indoctrinated, if you will. And this is not a a reflection. Yeah. This is a little less inflexible type thing. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe a little less flexible or yeah, just sort of like, you know, the whole, you can't teach an old dog tricks. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't believe that. I believe that anybody who wants to rewire absolutely can, but it is, I think, more of a struggle for somebody who's later in their career right now and who hasn't positioned themselves as a strong business leader and an asset, like somebody who's been laid off, but who has positioned themselves as a sales leader is going to do just fine. Yeah, they're going to get hired back really quickly, right? Yeah, they're going to find some company that's hiring and that's looking for a sales leader. And if there's alignment between the position and salary and everything, then they're going to get in there and and be just fine. Whereas somebody mid-career or later career who maybe hasn't reached management or leadership levels because they've been working at bigger corporations or just haven't like pushed for those career advancement opportunities quite as much. Those people who are being laid off are probably struggling more because they haven't been on the job hunt for so long. It's harder to sort of envision a world in which you're crashing your career as opposed to playing by the rules. Yeah. And so to get back to the the root of your question, which is like, what are ways that we can mentor them? The first thing to know about, you know, helping somebody is you can only help someone as much as they want to help themselves. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's been a big lesson in my life. And it's really about inspiring first and creating hope for a better future and creating a belief 
that there is a way, right? That if they work hard enough and if they do the right things, they can get what they want and that it may not be what they think it is. But if we can instill in someone that idea that there's a different approach and here's how the world has changed, and here's, uh-huh. how, here's how things work really well now, um, that's when we find that we can have the most impact on people of any age. That's cool. Yeah. Well, and I think that's really where America is kind of at right now. Like we have a generation of like make America great again, but I think there's so many jobs that are just not coming back. And I I think all societies as they grow and they change and they develop, they move on to different industries. But those are people that are struggling that haven't built that skill set up to do something different. Do you know what I mean? Like absolutely, their job went away, but they're not like they want it to just come back the way that it was. And that's really not going to happen anymore. Right. Like you have to be, no matter how old you are, you have to be constantly moving and learning and trying to improve your skill set. And then, like you said, like doing out loud where people have the ability to watch you. Yep. The the, the world changes constantly and you know, you may not like the direction that the world is going, but it's not by yelling that you're going to have any sort of influence (laughs) over it. It's by, you know, taking action. It's again, through our choices, Mm -hmm. uh, our behaviors that, that are going to um, shape the world that we want to see. And I think, you know, Dan Pink, oh, I think in the early 2000s, Dan Pink wrote a book called A Whole New Mind. And in it, he describes this like global paradigm shift from what he calls the information age to the creative or conceptual age. Mm -hmm. And his point is that other economies like those in Asia have really pulled uh, a lot of those blue collar jobs. Automation has replaced a ton of of, uh, human jobs, jobs that were once done by a human being. And I can't remember the third one, but his whole point is that just because a job is replaced by another person in another country or by a robot doesn't mean you're out of a job. And how, to, how you reframe that and start thinking about your skill set as a valuable contributor to society in some capacity. Everything that we know and do is transferable, but you have to be willing to transfer it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Just a simple uh, example of that is going from the checker to the self-check check stand. I actually yeah. like the self-check stand, but I have so many people that are angry about that. You know, don't let, you know, Walmart turn us all into checkers where I'm like, I just want to be out of the store. I don't want to stand <laughs> in a line and you know of what I course. mean? Like, but, but that's like, why don't we think of like the person who is able to run that machine? I mean, you know what I mean? They have to have some type of skill to be able to make sure that machine is running correctly and that, you know, um, the customers, I mean, I, I look at the, the checker is going to have to be so much more skilled than what they were before, just because we still need people to take care of those machines and make sure that they're operating correctly for the everyday modern consumer, right? Well, well, yeah. And for the people who don't want to use the, the human to human check stands, I mean, Mm -hmm. as a, as a somewhat of an extrovert, I find myself when I'm in a good mood, like when I'm feeling good, and especially if I have a lot of produce in my cart. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, what number is this? <laughs> yeah, if, if I'm in a good mood and I feel like interacting with other people, 
I'm going to go through the regular, you know, check stand and there will always be a market. There will always be a segment of customers in a grocery store who would rather interact with the cashier than go through self-checkout. And self-checkout is a great example of innovation within a business model mm-hmm. to meet a specific customer segment's needs. It is a feature of the retail store product, not a replacement. There will always be people who would rather check out with a human. We can't dehumanize everything. And I think that people have the right intentions when they say, oh, don't replace jobs with machines. But we have to always look at the sort of market forces and the reality that if it helps fries be more effective and it helps people get out of the store faster and get on with their lives faster, Mm -hmm. what kind of time does that represent in these retail customers' lives that they've now regained that they can focus on doing what they want to do? Yeah, that and and the um, personal shopping. I'm like, those are heaven sent. (laughs) (laughs) And there you go. Yeah, yeah, but like you you said, I mean, if we're always looking for ways to improve the market, we're always going to have a job, or you're always going to have like an opportunity to to make an improvement, right? Yes, if 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 you have an ear to the problems that people are experiencing, if we dial back the clocks five years ago, before personal shopping was a thing, was it five years ago? I don't know. Probably. Yeah. It's pretty new. (laughs) It's relatively new. Yeah. If we dial back the clocks to before personal shopping was a thing through like apps and you thought to yourself, who doesn't want to go to the grocery store? Hmm. Probably some parents might. Some forty-five-year-old homeschooling mother. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That is tired of shopping. <laughs> there you go. How can I? How can I find the people who are not enjoying the shopping process and try to make a couple bucks by offering them a service? And I'm sure they were just like you know their kids going around their neighborhood, hustling and mowing lawns and doing things for their neighbors to make a few bucks there was entirely a sort of unexplored business model where you could go and find the disgruntled people in the grocery store and say, Hey, how about you pay me 10 bucks and I'll do all your shopping and you just sit right here on your butt at the front of the store (laughs) and I'll make sure that everything's spot on. Yeah. Or or go run the rest of your errands. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Produce that podcast lady. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Anyway. And, And so there's always opportunity to create value for another individual or for a business of some kind, but you're never going to know unless you've got your ear to the ground of what those people or companies are dealing with. And you're never going to know unless you try to offer something and just try to get somebody to part with their money, right? That's the big validation in business. and, And the big takeaway is like, in order for an idea to be properly validated, somebody has to be willing to pay you something like a dollar is is so much more than just a dollar more than free. It's mm-hmm. it's a transaction. So yeah. yeah, I think too as as we get into this the, like the new job market, I think like the freelance worker may become a real important value to yeah. because there are a lot of companies that can't necessarily afford to have a full time person that they have to pay insurance and they have to you know do all of the absolutely government standards, but they can handle freelancing somebody for a few months to do the job. And so that freelancer may be able to balance jobs that they're working on. And But think of the freedom for the freelancer. 
maybe where I'm going with this, like, it just sounds like when you're mentoring other people, you're trying to expand their mind of like, what might be available for them if they just open their eyes, you know, really focus on like the ear to the problem, ear to the ground kind of thing. That That's there's... right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I run an online boot camp for people who want to freelance full time and turn it into more. It's called gigloft.com. And we could have a whole separate conversation about the world of gig work, but more importantly, the talent economy, which is more than just, I have a car, I'll make a few bucks by delivering food on the weekends. It's, I have a skill. Who needs my skill? I don't need them to provide me with a full-time salary and health benefits and whatever. Like, I just want to do this job and I do want to do it well for a small number or a large number of businesses, of clients. And maybe they value their freedom more than they would a healthcare package. I'll tell you honestly, the only reason I accepted the job at Crash, I mean, there were a lot of reasons why I was excited about it, but the one thing that would have broke the opportunity for me is if the job hadn't been flexible. Like I Mm -hmm. were fully remote. There's no punching in or out. There's no vacation. There's no sick days. Like it's complete trust. It's built on delivery and accountability and measuring all of the right things. So if I work 20 hours in a week and I crush my responsibilities, nobody's going to ask me why I didn't work more that week. But if I work 60 hours in a week and I'm still not meeting my goals, then I'm going to have a conversation with my CEO. And that was really the thing that you know, coming from the world of founding startups and freelancing myself, I could only accept a full-time job that wasn't going to feel <laughs> like a full-time <laughs> job. And I think a lot of people, so that there's, there's a lot of gray area is, is what I'm getting at. Is like, you know, I used to shit on full-time jobs and I was like, no, I don't work for the man, work for yourself. You know, you should only freelance, et cetera. And with this opportunity at Crash, I realized, oh, wow, a full-time W-2 employment can feel entrepreneurial. It can feel like a freelance awesome. gig. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, can, I can treat Crash constantly as a client in the sense that I want to do good work. It's not just a job that I punch in for. Well, and, and how are, many of us are working the eight to five and we check out for, you know, four hours of the work time that we're there that's right. just because we're, we're punched in the clock and then that's all that really matters is our, our butt in the seat kind of thing right. versus, yeah, the production. So yep. awesome. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, so now I want to know like your long-term goals and I know that's really hard to quantify when you're a young person, but where do you see your path going? Like I said, that's hard to say at this point, but. (laughs) It's a great question. Well, I'll be honest. I have this sort of undercurrent that I've always been deeply enamored with, and that is making our public services, government services, more effective more enjoyable to interact with. And, you know, the deeper I dive into the world of business and and free markets and everything, the more I, I think about how government services can be privatized, but keeping a, a really good balance of regulation and making sure that it's being done in the right way, as opposed to falling down the the rabbit hole of crony capitalism or whatever, Mm -hmm. big business. 
but that's what I want my life's work to be is to rebuild and disrupt government services from the ground up, whether that be, you know, interacting with the DMV or with the IRS or, you know, making new laws, like, like finding new ways to collaborate on self-regulation as a society. Like if I can solve the problem of creating a more effective democratic process that accurately reflects the needs of everyone without creating this sort of endless argument fallacy, you know, this, this inability to actually get stuff done. Like if I can build a government that worked like a startup that everybody would be happy about. Okay. No, 80% of the population is happy about. I would die a happy man. That's interesting. So do you plan on like running for a political office or, or do absolutely you just, not? Okay. <laughs> How do you envision this no. coming, coming about? <laughs> well, through entrepreneurship. So Isaac has this great story where he, he used to work in politics and he re, he, he really wanted to reform Asia. And I realized, uh, after a few years, I think that the, the most effective path to reforming an industry is to disrupt it with a, uh, the company of your own, to use entrepreneurship to create the change that you seek to make. And so, you know, I have a side project that I haven't really touched in a couple of years, but that I was extremely passionate at one point and that I, anytime the conversation comes around to this type of stuff, I could go on about it for hours. The project is called Wikiprop, wikiprop.org. And it's a Wikipedia for ballot propositions in the sense that the idea is to allow passionate individuals, whatever you're passionate about, whether it's you know making sure that animals are treated well or taking care of planet earth or regulating business or literally anything else, noise ordinances, whatever you're passionate about, that you can find relevant laws and quickly sort of understand what those laws say, right? We, we say plain English and then actually influence them. So the, the influencing part is not built on this website yet, but the idea is to let people creatively suggest new ways to uh, tackle problems because lawmaking can't keep up with innovation these days. And, and I, I really think that- And it's so boring. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I'm old and it's boring for me. I can't imagine a young person like, that's why I was listening to a podcast the other day and I just laughed at, you know, the guy was talking about that government is full of the most boring people in the world, but they're the only ones that can handle all of the, the meetings that drone on for hours about, you know, just ridiculous <laughs> you know, things. I was like, yeah. that's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. I, I think that given the right leadership, the right leadership, the population, all of us, as, as citizens of a political body, we know what's best for all of us. And not everybody's gonna agree on everything, but the more important thing is that not everybody needs to agree on everything, right? Yeah, so definitely. I don't particularly care if somebody is or is not allowed to, I don't know, cook chicken from the hours of 6 a.m. to 4 p.m. But maybe in someone's neighborhood, that's just like a radical concept and they don't want to deal with chicken, right? This is a, a very weird example, but just for the sake of illustrating, well, that neighborhood gets to self-regulate. And if they want, they can say no cooking chicken in this neighborhood from 10 to four. And if you want to cook chicken and like, you don't have to live in that neighborhood and there's a million 
layers of complications that you can debate all day about this. But the, but the bottom line is I'd rather create a system that encourages and facilitates discourse than one that sort of suppresses discourse or, or forces it to take place in strange media or, or in irrelevant media or in ways like, like voting on whether my city should assess a water tax. Like, I don't know. I, what does that do for you? Like, how does that affect me? But more importantly, how does it affect people who may not necessarily be able to pay that water tax? Definitely. I'm not the I'm not the best person to vote on that and so I A lot of those things affect the poor people the most like that you yeah. know like like the hair braiding thing you know as an example like sometimes people are just trying to get into an industry and when that regulation to stop that actually hurts somebody I actually wonder though you know watching the chaos <laughs> unfold with the whole covid-19 thing you know you said it needed the right leadership <laughs> I'm like I don't know I think this chaos it's going to produce all kinds of changes in education because now people are going oh what we can educate our kids at home <laughs> and you know through these different means and maybe there are teachers that actually like working from their house instead of at the school you know room I see changes in government big time because people are all of a sudden I think awake and aware to the fact of like wow you can shut my business down kind of thing with uh, you know something like this and then also the job market I mean I wonder how many companies are also going to say hmm it's kind of nice to not have to provide this huge facility for all these workers that they can do it from home and as long as they're producing the production you know who really cares about where they're located. Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, absolutely. I mean, maybe yeah, the I... chaos is going to bring about more change than, than anything. Maybe, maybe it's the wrong leadership though. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> well, no, I, anyway. <laughs> I, I, I know what you're saying. I will say there's a great quote that says something along the lines of human beings are always at their best when things are at their worst. Mm -hmm. And I deeply believe that. I believe that it's true for a significant enough majority of the human population that uh, I'm optimistic in times like this. And when I say, you know, the right leadership, I mean people who are boots on the ground, leaders, not figureheads or yeah. mafia bosses or... Um, yeah, like true leadership in terms of understanding how to do what's right and how to yeah. lead others to collaborate in bringing that to life. And so COVID-19 is a great example of that. This pandemic has underlined everything that Bill Gates and the Gates Foundation have been preaching for years, which is that we weren't ready economically or logistically for something like this. And much worse, if we encounter a pandemic of a disease that spreads through the air. I mean, I started reading Stephen King's The Stand as COVID-19 was starting to make headlines in the US. And that book is about a plague that kills 99% of people who catch it, spreads to 99% of people, right? So it's like the ultimate pandemic and he came out on Twitter and was like, no, 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 relax. This is not the stand. Like, we can survive this. <laughs> but it's teaching us what it means to have a global enemy that is very real, very tangible, something that we can all rally around. And I think we are going to come out of this as a more global civilization than ever before. And we're going to start being able to tackle just paradigm shifting things. Uh-huh that are not pandemics, yeah. but that are psychological pandemics or yeah, economic 
Yeah, I've been really impressed. So I live in Idaho and our governor, of course, did the whole shutdown like everything else. But in my particular area, well, a lot of us believe that COVID-19 came through here much earlier in the year, but Mm -hmm. it's been really low incidences. I mean, no deaths, no, you know, um, I, I can't even remember how many, but it's really cool. Like, even though the governor is taking this down, there's so many people are like, why are our doors closed? Like, I mean, as time goes on, we're not gaining any, you know, situations like that, but it's been fun to watch like the business leaders in our community. That's like, okay, we can handle this. We can open up safely for our customers. And they've been working with doctors and they've been working together to figure out what would be the best way to go about, you know, making sure the people are safe, but then they're also like, we're not also shutting down our economy and causing devastation with job loss as well, you know? So I believe in your vision kind of thing of like, of having that startup. And, and I think that's leadership, you know, that's not government leadership. That's coming from business leaders. That's like, okay, here's a problem and let's tackle it. (laughs) You know, let's take it head on. A leader can have zero business experience and zero lawmaking Mm -hmm. or political experience, but be just sort of intuitively a good leader if they are good at listening to everybody's perspective and facilitating. Like, I think it was Henry Ford who was like, I'm not that smart. I'd rather just hire smarter people than me who can, you know, do it all. And in that sense, leadership as a quality doesn't require anything except the ability to help other people, to coordinate other people into working together towards mm-hmm. a certain end. Yeah, uh, yeah, definitely. And and like you said, that ear to the ground, that they understand yeah. like, okay, you know, this is the situation, this is where we've got to get, and then you know, um, be able to handle that. That's awesome. I think we've had a great discussion. There's so much more I'd love to talk to you about, but, um, you know, maybe we'll have to have you come back on later on and talk about the, the gig loft or, or what is it? The wiki props (laughs) type of thing. Those would be interesting, (laughs) but, um, why don't you go ahead and give our audience like some parting advice and then please give us your contact information, how we can get in touch with you. Absolutely. So, my parting advice for the Luminous Mind audience is this overarching philosophy or reminder that I give to every person I talk to about Gigloft, every person that I talk to about Crash, and it's that you are already enough to achieve your goals. A lot of people think, I don't have the experience I need, or, well, I don't think that I'm this enough. You, you are already enough to accomplish what you want to accomplish. And I've dealt with my own share of depression and anxiety and, and that sort of stuff. And I think we need to each be our own biggest cheerleader when we're feeling down. We really need to be our biggest cheerleader. And of course, our most honest critic when we're in a good place mentally. But I think that unhappiness or, or dissatisfaction is a plague of modern generations Mm -hmm. and it can be turned into a fuel for a tremendous amount of good and success and happiness. But we need to start by really going deep inside of ourselves and, and being willing to love ourselves as we are and to then set out from there. That's awesome. That's great. (laughs) And how do we find, you know? Oh, I'm so sorry. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm on social media at Rarely Jeremy. 
because I'm rarely myself, even though I'm always <laughs> myself. You can also email me uh, if you're on the job hunt and you want to check out Crash, jeremy at crash.co. If you want to build an agency or a full-time freelance practice of some kind, you can email jeremy at gigloft.com. Those are sort of the two direct channels into my attention span these days. Okay, that's awesome. (laughs) Again, we've been talking with Jeremy. And uh, how do we say your name? Jeremy? Chevalier. Chevalier. Okay, Jeremy. Très bien. (laughs) To find out more, definitely go and check out our show notes. We'll be sure to link all of our information there. Uh, The company we've been talking about mostly is Crash Co., but we've also talked about gigloft.com. But thank you so much for coming on, Jeremy, and talking to us about some really innovative ideas of how to launch ourselves, showcase our market skills, and crash that job hunt. I appreciate it. Absolutely, Rebecca. Thank you so much for inviting me. And uh, I I really had a great time. So thanks. Awesome. Thank you for listening to The Luminous Mind. Music featured in this episode from Scott Holmes. To learn more about our podcast, check us out at theluminousmind.net.